Transmitting to you from the event horizon itself, it's the Quantum Reactor. We are... Man, let's start that again. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you. Sometimes you just got to bail. Yeah, I got there. I was like, nah, I already made a mistake, and now it's compounding in my head. Save that uh, for the blooper reel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Love. The multiverse. Nihilism. And everything bagel. All are stretched and distorted into unrecognizable infinity as they approach the singularity at the center of the black hole. We remain here as witnesses, studying the results and transmitting our findings to anyone who will listen. Coming to you live from the edge of the event horizon, this is the Quantum Reactor, a sci-fi movie review podcast starring two brave souls with stars in our eyes and quasars in our hearts. My name is Jeremy Cobb. And I'm Andrew Coons. And the universe is so much bigger than you realize. Yes. This week we are talking about, for me, probably one of the single most talked about movies of last year, as of this recording, uh, 2022's Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, yes. uh, directed by The Daniels. This movie is, I'm going to say it right off the bat, unbelievable. Unbelievable! Uh, this movie—I—I I first heard about it because I hadn't seen a trailer for it. Yep. All I saw was people on Twitter freaking out about how amazing it was. They were the comparison that I saw. The primary comparison that I saw was to the Matrix, and people saying, "Not since the Matrix have they been so exhilarated and blown away by a film on a creative, technical, and emotional level." And I think that the the distinction there is that it's not a similar story to the Matrix. It's not as no. if this was Matrix, you know, ripoff. But but yes, in that sense of how it impacted people, uh, very much so. I the first time I watched this movie, I was completely sober, and there were moments in this movie where I felt like I was on a trip. Uh, <laughs> it, th there was there's one and no no spoilers, but there's one moment in particular that we can maybe talk about later that I felt pinned to the seat. I did not feel like my body mm. could move. The the what I was taking in with my eyes was so uh, amazing. <laughs> yeah, that like I this movie move. is a smorgasbord. Yes, like honestly, and I'm saying it right now. I think in order to fully unpack this, we might have to do further episodes because there are so many different things to analyze, yes. some of which I don't even feel like equipped to do properly. Uh, some of the big themes of this movie, uh, again, without going too much into spoilers, uh, there's elements, there's discussion of nihilism. Uh, you could argue maybe post-postmodernism uh, post versus like post-postmodernism or metamodernism. Yep. Uh, you could talk about certainly uh, Asian American culture. Yes. Uh, and the the life of Asian Amer like Asian Americans Asian American in the experience States. is is at the heart of this film, um, mm -hmm. and you know it 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 is simultaneously as you were saying both uh, an amazing fantastical sci fi action film and a, a study of philosophy. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, in a way that I don't. And again, when we talk about what, what we mean by, you know, the since the Matrix, I think in the same way that the Matrix made us question reality. It made us question our belief systems, made us question, mm -hmm. you know, what it means to be human. And this movie does that as well. Yeah, a hundred percent. And it does it in a way that is actually really entertaining and easy to engage with. Yes. Which The Matrix also does. Because there's plenty of movies that may try to grapple with philosophy, but the average person who's just trying to go to a movie and have a good time is going to struggle with those movies. Uh, this movie brings the entertainment factor. It is so incredibly gonzo and off the wall, while simultaneously being unbelievably sincere and endlessly creative. This movie is bonkers. They throw everything, including the kitchen sink, uh, they throw a kitchen sink from multiple realities yes. at you in this movie. That's how hard this movie goes. And that's that honestly is also reminiscent of The Matrix to me, in that The Matrix, when it arrived, felt so 
new, yes. but like sure of itself. Yes. And when you, you when you're watching, you're like, this is something I've never seen before, and yet I feel like it's always existed, and I've just discovered it, and my my, my world has been forever changed. That's kind of what this movie felt like to me on some level, in the sense that like the way the tone, the the fact that it's able to go so ridiculous, yes. and yet have so much emotion, be able to generate so much emotion, and also be so hilarious. Oh, and laugh out loud. And s- Yes, and at times so even a little ways. scary and mm-hmm. just like endlessly surprising. Uh, you cannot predict where this movie is going. But yep. <laughs> there's, it is. If you have not seen this movie, uh, do yourself a favor. If you were at all a fan, I would say of uh, the Matrix. If you like the Matrix, because there are definitely some parallels with the Matrix. I would say also if you like Sorry to Bother You. Uh, I would say there's some strong stylistic parallels with Sorry to Bother You. Uh, I would say if you like um, Community. There are scenes from this movie that are, you could argue, are direct parallels to specific scenes in the show community. If you like Rick and Morty, absolutely. <laughs> uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. If yep. you enjoy Jackie Chan movies. If you like Edgar Wright movies. It, it, is, it is a new venture into, I, I think to some degree, a, a new genre that's developing of multiversal films. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it sets the bar very, very high. Um, And I think what's very interesting to me about why it sets the bar high is that while there are incredible special effects in this movie, it's the writing. It's the structure of the movie. This movie benefits from the incredible special effects, but it does not rely on them in order to to blow your mind. Um, And I also just think, like, I don't know that I've ever seen a movie that was more appropriately titled. Uh, Yes. and, and, And it's a very very bold move to name your movie everything everywhere all at once because you got to deliver on that yeah and it certainly does yeah they absolutely do there this movie is at times intentionally disorienting and i love what yes. you said about the fact that the the special effects really are serving the story and not only that i would say just the sheer creativity cuz sometimes there's not even it's not even really a story element you're just seeing images yep. flash before you that i wish that i had there's one moment in particular that i wish i had a still of every single thing that we see because some of them look so cool and so interesting that i'm like ah how did they how did they make this for 25 million? Yeah. How on <laughs> earth did they make this for 25 million? Cuz there's so much going on. And and apparently they did it with the smallest team of visual effects artists. Like it was like seven guys. What? With laptops who did all the spe- including the Daniels who did all the special effects. It was the most indie approach to uh, one of the biggest, you know, blockbuster films of of the year. That is unreal. Like, the, I I just uh, I just saw in my research for this movie that shooting only took thirty eight days. Yeah, that that's remarkable. With how many setups it feels like they would have had to have done. Yes. For some of these, how many? Uh, like again, there visually there are just so many things that this movie throws at you. I literally don't know how. Right. <laughs> how do you keep that straight? So before we start talking too much about uh, spoilers or about specific aspects, uh, let's do because we forgot to do this uh, in our last episode for Sunshine. Um, mm-hmm. But let's let's go ahead and do a quick as much as we can rundown of what is this movie? What is the plot here? Um, what's yeah. what's the hook? And we're going to try and keep this section spoiler-free as much as possible, and then we'll dive into spoilers in a bit. Um, mm-hmm. But essentially, the movie premise is that a woman who owns a laundromat and who has dealing with struggles in her business and marriage and parenthood suddenly finds herself interacting with the people in her life from different universes. People, you know, whether it's her husband or daughter or friends or whatever it is, from different multiversal universes uh, are beginning to, to, to interact with her. And she is beginning to experience things <laughs> from these other universes. Uh, I, oh, it's, this is hard to talk about without spoilers. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, it's like basically imagine that if you got to see what you might what what might have happened to you had you chosen something else. Yeah, and you start to see not only yourself from the, that yes. other timeline, but other people that you know how they exist in that timeline. And then there's of course a much larger plot that kicks off uh, that we can't go into without it being <laughs> massive spoilers. Uh, but it is it is I would almost. 
I see it's science fiction, but it's almost like it's almost more like science metaphysics more so than anything else, because the while there is some use of sci fi sort of technology in the film. I normally think of sci-fi, and this is probably something that we'll have to return to multiple times during the series, the idea of what actually defines something as science fiction. Um, I tend to think of science fiction as fiction that uses science to explore other uh, themes of humanity. And there's usually an explicit element that's like, we are using science to do this. I would add that not exclusively, but most of the times there's an element of futurism Mm -hmm. to it. Mm -hmm. Um, There's something looking ahead in terms of time. Because we could also go down the rabbit hole of, well, what does it mean to to use science? uh, So so maybe adding in there, you know, the use of advanced technology, the use of of the future. um, Or some, yes, some kind of, yes, some kind of exploration of how this technology, what it implies and what it means, basically using it to to explore the human condition or something like that a little bit more deeply. I heard someone describe it at one point that fantasy is looking behind and sci-fi is looking ahead. Oh, okay. Um, which I think is a very you know, broad definition and doesn't encompass every work, uh, but in some respects is helpful for kind of creating a framework. Yes. And uh, I guess just for the viewer's pleasure, uh, would you consider Star Wars to be sci-fi? I personally would not. I would call it science fantasy. That, see, this is this is one of these beautiful, yeah. I it's a sci-fi fantasy. <laughs> um, it it's a it is sci-fi in in the respect of you know everything about it visually, everything about the setting is everything you would expect from sci-fi. The story structure and the themes uh, are much more in line with 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 yeah you know what we would expect from maybe a fantasy movie. I mean, and Lucas himself has talked about you mm-hmm. know Obi Wan Kenobi is the old wizard. You know what I mean? Like that's what the Jedi are like. So, it, you know, right there, probably the most famous quote-unquote sci-fi franchise bends the rules itself. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually remember watching a video of Irvin Kirshner, the director of, um, of Empire Strikes Back, basically saying, yeah, this isn't sci-fi, it's a fantasy. That's why we don't, like, we don't need to explain anything. If you think, if you think oh, well, that's dumb, they're never going to believe. Yeah, they will. Like, it's, a, it's a fantasy. <laughs> you're, you're not making, we're not making Solaris here. Like, people are going right. to watch it, and, like, th- the point is that there's magic stuff happening, and it's cool, and you yes. and you care about the characters. It's emotional. This movie, the technology matters, but it is definitely, if you're worried about, like, some in-depth cerebral discussion of the implications of multiple timelines and whatnot, don't worry about it. Nope. Don't worry about it. It's that's yeah. not what you're going to be getting. The the tech is very light and breezy. Uh, it does what it needs to do in order to make the story work mm-hmm. uh, and to provide a framework, and then it gets out of the way and lets the characters take center stage. Yeah. Um. And I, if I was wearing a hat, uh, I would put on multiple hats to take them all off for the film's production design and costume design team. Yes. Because when we do see sci-fi gadgets, they are very simple, often very, often like a little kooky and offbeat and mm-hmm. intentionally a little bit silly and sometimes even a little bit cheap looking. Not cheap yep. cheap, but like in a way that's like, what? <laughs> like, it's not sleek. Uh, there's very exactly. little that's sleek, but there is so, this video, this video, this movie is sumptuous uh, uh, from a visual perspective. They communicate so much with the visuals, the costumes for every character, uh, the set design of every location. Uh, yes. Just, yeah. I, it's to the point where I feel like we have to get into spoilers, uh, almost. I, I guess b- before, I did want to at least shout out the, the cast, because the entire yes. cast knocks it out of the park. They knock the stuffing off the ball. Yeah, so uh, starring Michelle Yeoh uh, in, you know, she's been a, a staple of Hollywood for, for decades, and I've seen a ton of her movies, uh, including Sunshine, which we, we just reviewed, Um this this has to be her 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 greatest performance that she's ever put on screen. I don't know, like it's uh, just in terms of the breadth of things that happen and the breadth of emotion that she portrays and the way she embodies um, the character of Evelyn. Um, I I mm-hmm. not just her greatest performance, one of the greatest performances I've ever seen in my life um, from an actor or actress. Mm. It's amazing. Um, and also, um, Kei Hui Kwan. Uh, making an, an incredible comeback after 30 years. Uh, so if you're not familiar with who he is, uh, this is the child actor who played Short Round in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, uh, who then worked mm-hmm. in Hollywood, but not as an actor a lot of times for 30 years until finally 
uh, he was thought of and called in for this role and has now won a Golden Globe for it at this point um, as Evelyn's hub- husband, Waymond. Yeah. Yeah, I, I did a little bit of research about it, and apparently after having had a lot of success as a child actor, you know, not just Indiana Jones, he's in The Goonies, some of the most classic movies of that period. Yep, The Goonies, Encino Man, yeah, a few different films. Yeah, yeah he couldn't find work. As a as a an Asian man, he could not yep. find work uh, as an actor in Hollywood during that period, and so he transitioned out of that. As Andrew was saying, he actually was working as a stunt coordinator, mm-hmm. uh, jumping back and forth, I believe, between China and the U.S., working as a stunt coordinator for multiple movies, which certainly serves him in this movie. <laughs> yes, and actually, another Michelle Yeoh connection. Uh, he he saw Crazy Rich Asians, and that the success of that movie and even that movie's existence inspired him to give acting another shot. And Amazing. two weeks after he, he started <laughs> acting again, he got contacted for this movie. Yeah. I want to I wanna pause there and talk about just the importance of representation. Um, I know that this mm. is a, a bit of a buzzword right now in, in cinema as well as lots of different industries. But I mean, like, if, if you're not under, if you don't understand why representation is important, this is, this is the story that shows why. Yeah, 100%. Until you can see yourself in some shape or form doing a thing, it's really hard to believe in yourself to go do that thing. Yeah. Whether that's you want to be a teacher and there are no teachers that, that look like you. Uh, and so you don't think that, oh, I, well, I must not be able to go be a teacher someday. Or you want to be a movie star, and there are no movie stars that look like you. This is Representation is not only important for the people who are doing the work now, but it's important for the people who are going to do the work tomorrow. 100%. And we aren't going to get performances like Kei Hui Kwan's performance without that inspiration and that representation. And so I just am so inspired by his story mm-hmm. uh, and so happy for him. Um, and so happy for us that we got to watch this movie. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. And another factor for the importance of representation, it's, it even, it's not just you not even be able to see yourself. Sometimes it's the gatekeepers who could give you the work that you're trying to get yes. being able to see you in that role. And, if and being they, able to see, oh, it can be successful. It can make money. Exactly. Like, you know, they should be doing it out of the goodness of their heart. But if they're not going to do that, let's get them to do it out of the goodness of their pocketbooks. Yes, exactly. Uh, if they can see like, oh, yes, this is bankable. This is a bankable idea. Then, yes, they are more likely to hire people into those positions. Uh, and, yeah, it's uh, I completely agree with you. It is absolutely necessary to talk about the representation of this film. And this film represents a community that, especially in mainstream American cinema, is drastically underrepresented. Uh, yes. The idea of Asian-American books both immigrants and then first generation. Uh, I guess second generation, because I think their daughter is second generation uh, mm-hmm. immigrants. And she's not really an immigrant. I guess she's she was born in America. But the, the, the culture that they brought over with them, the culture that they were experiencing in China, the way that they inter- like other people interact with them, there's so many moments of like awkward, casual racism that just don't really get addressed. Yes. That just happen. <laughs> uh, they're just yeah. sort of blowing past. And, and I kind of... In a way, from a writing standpoint, I kind of like that that's how the directors went with it, that they didn't sit and make each one of these casual racism instances like its own thing. It's like, because that's not the way it is in real life. Like, there are microaggressions and casual racism that just happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not a... It, we wish it didn't, but people develop thick skins and they learn to blow past it. And we need to stop those things from happening, obviously. But But the reality of the world is that this is what it looks like. It looks like people being... Uh, inconsiderate. It looks like people being, you know, Ill, they don't necessarily have bad intentions, but they, you know, they're saying things yeah, that if they have you had stopped and thought about it for two seconds, yeah, yeah, they'd be like, oh, I shouldn't have said uh, that. The line that's coming to my mind is, I thought you people were supposed to be good with money. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's the most cliche, you know, racist, you know, against Asian communities thing that mm-hmm. that we've all heard, and. They just throw that line in from there. a friendly person, right? Exactly. <laughs> That's what's so ironic about yes. it. From a person who genuinely likes the characters, he casually drops that, and who they genuinely like. Yes, exactly. Right, because Wayman dances with him in the in the uh, in, in the laundromat immediately before he does that. But immediately before he says that, he has just danced with Waymond, and then he pops off with that. Yes, uh, sh- shortly after. Yes. So yeah, I completely agree. I think 
honestly, yeah, you have to grow a thick skin because every time, if people called out every single instance of uh, a microaggression that they saw, a lot of people wouldn't really be able to operate in the world because you would constantly be calling stuff out. Yeah. Or, and also, many people do not respond positively to being called out like that, uh, to having that kind of behavior highlighted at all. Right. So you also potentially damage your ability to make your way in the world. So, uh, yeah, I, that culture clash elements, um, there is an element of uh, sort of a conser- more old-fashioned conservative uh, Chinese parent being unable to accept their more progressive yep descendants uh, and, and their progressive descendants yep. lifestyles and so forth and just who those descendants are as people uh, they it's yeah so many things that this movie touches on um, yeah. I th- should we go ahead and jump into spoilers or should I think it's I think it's the spoiler I think it's the spoiler alert okay. right now for our for the our spoiler listeners. alert yes. alarm is going off the quantum reactor is about to enter spoiler mode take cover now go watch the movie insulate yourself against the spoiler radiation that's about to start flying around uh, before as we just before we step into the spoiler radiation chamber um, is it safe to say that we both strongly recommend this film? I don't know of a movie currently that I could possibly recommend more. Yeah, uh, it's... Look, if you enjoy fun... If you enjoy fun and if you have a beating heart, yeah, and if you don't, if you don't mind being assaulted with quite a lot of, it's a lot. Uh, and and I lot. will, I will add on a serious note. I will add a little disclaimer here that if you are someone who um, does not respond well to flashing lights mm-hmm. or um, over stimulus, um, I'm not saying don't watch this movie, but go in with a with that knowledge that it's incredibly overstimulating. Mm-hmm. Give yourself the grace of of pausing <laughs> at yes. times. Um, there's a lot going on in this movie, and there are some very purposeful visual assaults in this movie um, yes. to, to make artistic points. Um, but, you know, I would never want someone to watch this on our recommendation and, and have a genuinely bad time. So yeah. keep that in mind. If it, if it helps, uh, the directors had originally planned for the main character to be a professor and have undiagnosed ADHD. And through the research for the project, one of the directors learned that he himself had undiagnosed ADHD. And I've seen ADHD brought up as a theme of the film, uh, sty- certainly stylistically, despite the yes. fact that never at any point in the film does anyone say the word ADHD. Like, no one even mentions right. that disorder. But if that gives you a little bit of context where like this is this movie has strong ADHD sort of elements to it yes uh definitely keep that in mind in terms of like the visuals and what it just how quickly it moves and how much comes at you uh I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and finish putting on my radiation suit and step in you coming in with me I'm zipping up helmets locked in here we go all right um right off the bat I want to take uh I want to drink uh, some mystery radioactive fluid here and raise a glass t- uh, to Stephanie Sue. I hope I'm saying her last name correctly, uh, as Joy Wong uh, and yes. Jobu Tabaki. What a dual performance. Like, as much as, like, every, there's not a single person that we cannot highlight in this that does not do an outstanding job, uh, right down to, like, Jamie Lee Curtis, who absolutely yep. brings it. But, um,. I feel like, in terms of the acclaim that I've seen, most of it seems to have been reserved for Michelle Yeoh and Ki-Hoi Kwan. And honestly, I feel like Stephanie's, Stephanie Sue is being slept on, big time. Because it's it's tough because there's so many amazing performances that uh, maybe not everybody's getting as much of the, the spotlight as they should. But yes, she, the movie goes from incredibly impactful to incredibly cheesy without her performance working. Yes. And her ability to shift between the hurting daughter mm-hmm. and the still hurting but vindictive villainous daughter mm-hmm. um, and do that so seamlessly and especially near the end of the movie, watch those two performances intersect where you're not sure, wait, are yeah. we talking to Joy or are we talking to Jobu Tupaki? Oh, wait, they're the same. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's it's remarkable with, with a head movement. She switches between yes, the two. like that tells yeah. you just how much physically she brings. Uh, she's uh, Stephanie Sue has uh, an extensive theater career, and okay. uh, she absolutely uh, she she actually interestingly enough played the voice of Karen in the original cast of SpongeBob the Musical. 
Uh, Karen the computer. Yeah, Plankton's, I guess, computer wife. Uh, she plays the voice of that. She was also, uh, what was the name of that musical that she was in? Um, she she also was in the original Broadway cast for another musical. So she's a very gifted singer. She's obviously a little bit of singing in this, but she brings that level of physical specificity to this role. From yeah. the moment that Jobu Tupaki appears, where her leg like steps on and the other foot slides on, and the way yes. she saunters through, has such a different, like, menacing, yet carefree, yet, like, controlled, yet unhinged air to it. Uh, such a distinctive performance. The the introduction of Jobu Tupaki um, all the way through the dildo fight is just... <laughs> is just amazing and like the moment where she pops the 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 security officer or the police officer into confetti and you're just like oh my god what is happening like and then she starts dancing with the other one as he's getting shot up (laughs) yep Yeah, like, unbelievable. Like, she really takes some risks. She sings random lines, jumps into weird, kooky voices almost at random, it seems. Some stuff that, like, honestly, the way, if that goes wrong, you get Jared Leto's Joker. You know what I mean? Performance-wise. Jared Leto's Joker, yep. Like, that's the kind of stuff that Jared Leto was trying with his his Joker that (laughs) truly did not work. It felt really try-hard. Uh, yeah. Stephanie Sue absolutely threads the needle. She crushes yeah. it. Yeah. No, an incredible performance. Um, we've already talked a little bit about Michelle Yeoh. We talked a little bit about Kehui Kwan. Um, James Hong as the father yeah. in this. Um, he's just been one of these guys that I, I, I haven't seen any of maybe the movies that he's been the lead in, but I've seen him in so many different productions um, as an incredible character actor and supporting character. And uh, he crushes it in this movie. Um Jamie Lee Curtis, man, like that is a remarkable performance. And I remember like there's there's some stuff with her talking about the way she wanted this character of Deidre to be, mm-hmm. you know, unfiltered and, you know, the way she lets her gut hang out and like just is kind of this like almost troll like character. Um, yeah, just serves the story so well. Um, and obviously, I didn't even immediately yeah. recognize her. No, I'll be yeah, honest. She's transformative in this. Yeah, I was like, is that? She looks so. Is that Jamie Lee Curtis? No, I but, know. Like the whole movie, I was back yep. and forth. Is it? <laughs> no, no, it can't. But what if it? But it really? No. Like yep. what a what a I, the the scene where she gets taken over initially. Like when we see her transition. She just goes like. Ah! And starts like yeah. shrieking <laughs> while doing like wrestling moves. Uh, it's so remarkably crazy. <laughs> and I love, you know, we talk about the randomness of the movie, and, and in that scene in particular, I love the mechanic that they built in with the with everything of in order to jump to another timeline and, and access a different, you know, use abilities and skills, mm-hmm. you have to do something unexpected and random. Mm-hmm. That just it it both in a weird way makes sense. Yeah. You know, for for the sci-fi world, it also just adds so much humor yeah. to things. And like and there are moments like like you know, you see oh no, they're doing something like when she like licks the uh the snot oh. from from the guy's oh. nose. It's just like Oh my gosh, what's happening? But it's so funny. Uh, the crowning jewel of that, at least for me, is the the butt plug award sequence. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which I will say thank you to the Daniels for censoring that. I there maybe there's some things that I just didn't need to see. <laughs> this guy's so junk I appreciate just it. flying down towards you in slow motion. <laughs> and isn't it funny how there's a, a mo- like you're so bought into the movie. That when there is a literal sensor, you know, bar or, or, or you know, pixelation over his junk, mm-hmm. it doesn't actually make me remember that, like, oh, yeah, that's a filmmaker doing that. Like, yeah. I just I just bought it and just kept watching <laughs> the movie. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, and the, the I have to take my hat off to the, the fight choreographers. Oh. And amazing. the actors themselves. Yes. Uh, I just saw this. The the apparently the Daniels have said the film's kung fu fight scenes were shot incredibly quickly. The fanny pack fight, the first big fight in the movie, was shot in a day and a half. That's insane. I watched them this movie today, and w- during that scene, I was like, man, this must have been like two three days. <laughs> 
like easy. Yeah. This there's so many like there's so many different elements to this fight. This is an elaborate fight. This is not like he and they all fall right. over. This is like a couple minutes worth of action yeah. of intense action. Well, and I think that's where you know when you have people like um, you know in this particular fight, Kei Kwan, who who is a stunt coordinator. Mm-hmm. Um, or you know, you, another fight scenes. You got Michelle Yeoh, who who is a storied martial artist and and mm-hmm. performer. You know, I'm sure that helps it go quicker. Um, yeah. But that being said, I mean, I think about it from the standpoint of, oh my god, how many camera setups was this? Like, exactly. how many different angles are you getting? Are you how are you making sure you get your coverage and like exactly where are you getting your inserts and like you don't have time to refilm? Like, oh my gosh, it's so crazy. Yeah. That's this this movie. Uh, they now I mentioned the influence of Jackie Chan. I think yeah. that is absolutely like it's evident in the way that these scenes are choreographed. There's a real Jackie Chan like manic nature to how yep. like uh, for those of you who haven't seen. I mean, I think everybody's kind of seen Jackie Chan. You know Jackie Chan, but yeah. if you watch like clips of his movies that he directed in China. The like there is a frantic nature to his like it's constant like the action is so fast paced he's always outmatched he's always just trying yep. everything to get through the fight uh, he's that's that is what the tone of a lot of these fights feel like people are just like ah, just yeah. trying to and Quan kind of brings that energy like there you know there's almost like in silhouette there's almost moments where you, he looks like Jackie Chan Absolutely. fighting because the way he's moving and the way he's kind of like dodging things and stuff. Um, yeah, that's a really good comparison. Yeah, and actually, the script was originally written for Jackie Chan. It was. Yeah, it was. and then they thought about it, and then were like, yeah, let's cast a woman instead. It makes more sense with the husband-wife dynamic, but, like, the... <laughs> I can see it. Honestly, yeah. I can see it. That would have been cool. Honestly, if they couldn't have gotten... Uh, if they could not have gotten uh, Quan for this, Chan would not have been a bad choice for a backup. No. Like, and- it almost feels like it could have worked for him. And, and this is not a knock on Chan, but I don't. I, I think he could have done the fight scenes, obviously, but I don't know that he could have brought the same performance um, mm. that Quan does. And I've never seen him go that emotionally raw before. No. I, I see where you're coming from. Yeah, and and there's something about, especially the you know the this universe Waymond, mm-hmm. who's so like kind of mousy, kind of deferential, kind of you know he he he's a bit of a floor rug. He gets walked all over. Yeah. Um, by life and by his wife and all these things and he's so vulnerable even the way he does his voice and I know he has a little bit yeah. of a higher voice but he almost pitches it up a little more and sounds um, almost just like like childlike in the way he the way he speaks um, mm-hmm. that it, it's just a it's a really brave performance and because and, and, he again when we talk about Stephanie Sue being able to jump between things um, and it's obviously played for comedy a lot of times, but the way that Quan's able to jump between this universe's Waymond and others and go mm-hmm. from just kind of bumbling to incredibly confident and incredibly capable, um, yeah. it's it's awesome. Yeah, and while it still feels like the same Waymond, it's just he's had slightly different experiences. I would say yes. the biggest jump for me is the the Wong Kar Wai, like, in the mood for love sequence that yes. they keep going back to. Which, I'm by the way... I'm glad you got the same vibe from that. Yeah, that literally yeah. he's dressed like the protagonist of In the Mood for Love. Like, he's, yep. he's he looks like him in that sequence. Uh, if you haven't seen yep. In the Mood for Love, it's directed by uh, oh. Wong Kar Wai. Go watch it. Uh, Wong Kar Wai's work is a clear influence on this movie, and that sequence, like, everything, whenever we jump and see Evelyn, like, movie star Evelyn, talking to, I guess, also kind of movie star, or or at least successful. Well, I think he's Waymond. like a businessman or something. Yeah, yeah. successful business, successful businessman Waymond. Uh, we are seeing a glimpse into like it, it's almost like an alternate version of In the Mood for Love, uh, right down to the colors and the costumes, yeah. like and uh, the setting and the way they're like in the in the raining alleyways yeah. and stuff like that. Like it's such a, a direct influence there. And yes, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I was like, for all the franticness of this movie. I think that's my favorite part. Mm. I think I think my favorite parts of the movie are when it gets quiet. Mm-hmm. So both there and then the rock scene, which we have to talk about, of course, those are the moments where all of a sudden you get a chance to breathe and it really lets the themes come out and it lets you contemplate. And, um, and it's beautiful. And it, it's, the, it's the moments that bring a real tear to your eye. Yeah, yeah. 
those are that's the emotional crux of the movie is like it's not about all the screaming and the fighting it's about yep. people caring about each other and really yes. like I, I mean I think we got to jump into the themes of this there's it's gonna be tough to summarize all of them but I would say the the yep. big big themes are obviously the Asian American experience that's a big one mm-hmm. um, I would say parents and children especially mothers daughters but parents and children different generations trying to relate to each other as well as yep. I think the big big theme is probably meaning just like what does what does anything mean in your yep. life knowing that like when with the knowledge that there are other versions of you other timelines that you could have done anything and you chose this and this is what you are yep. stuck with but they all still exist what does it mean that you did this yeah and, and I think that well and I think that you just hit for me what the biggest theme of the movie is and that is mm-hmm. choice um there's a lot of randomness in this movie. There's a lot of things happening to people in this movie. And yet the things that move the story are the moments where people make decisions and they make choices. So when Evelyn chooses to fight with kindness versus fighting with violence, um, and then her whole speech at the end of like, I could have done anything. I could go anywhere. I could be anything. Um, I choose this, um, I think is, is incredibly powerful. And I think, for me, that's the universal thing. And, and for me as a parent as well, I mean, I think that there's, you know, I'm, I'm a parent, I'm married. There's elements of that situation that I relate to where like there are moments, no matter how happy your family life is, where you go, oh man, if, if I had just, if I had just, you know, gone a different path, what would my life be like? You know, um, would it have been better? Would it have been different? You know, all these things. And it's like, but, but true contentment for me is, is remembering that like, I made these choices and it's not that I'm stuck with them. It's that I'm happy I made these choices and that I'm happy that this is where my life is and that there are always hardships, but I'm choosing to stay through those hardships. I'm choosing to, to fight with kindness for the things that matter to yes. me uh, and, and to fight with kindness in those moments where maybe somebody else wants to pull away. Yes. Uh, and that's incredibly powerful. And, and I struggled the first time I watched this movie, I struggled hard with the moment where Evelyn says, oh, I, where's my husband? I have to find Waymond and tell him how good my life was without him. Yo, that's painful. And I I had I had a hard time with that because I was like, how insensitive is this character? I hate her now. Mm-hmm. And the more I watched it and then watched it a second time, the more I realized like there's such a raw emotional moment there of like, she's just blurting out what's on her mind. Mm-hmm. And it's not meant to be insulting. No. It's meant to be... And I talked with a friend. I will. I'll credit this to a friend as well. I talked with about the movie uh, who helped me see this point. I think it's meant to be a yes. My life was so incredible without you, but you're the person I want to sit down and talk about with that. Mm. In this universe, in my life, who do I turn to when I have something to say? It's you. I want to talk to my husband, mm-hmm. and I'm choosing you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it's a very, but it's a very complicated thing, and and humans are very complicated, and, and I think that's represented well here. Yeah, um, I would say, uh, in addition to the theme of choice, I would also throw on that the the way that people inf- we can influence each other's choices, because mm. we still we always have a choice, but the choice uh, that Evelyn makes to fight with kindness is at Wayman's suggestion, hundred uh, percent, and plea even, and and the fact that uh, the fact that joy. Choose and Jobu Tupaki chooses to turn away from the bagel is because of Evelyn. Is yep. what she says, and now it's still the person's choice. But it's you. You see how people can influence each other uh, in in huge ways. And I would also uh, say on top of that, in, in response to the scene that really bothered you, yeah, for me it feels like. She has to. Uh, I think a lot of this movie for her character, the 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 storyline that her character has is processing the information. Yep. That's what like that Evelyn has. It's what already happened to Jobu Tupaki is that she already processed this information and came out on the side of nothing matters, and I just want someone else to share this with yep. me, and maybe they can turn me back because right now I'm sliding towards oblivion. Yep. And th- that's the only choice that I see that has any meaning. That the only piece of control that I have is to stop experiencing any right. of this. Because none of it matters to me. Uh, and I don't think any of it matters in a cosmic sense. And that really, I can't live with that. And I think the cho- what we see with Evelyn's journey is experiencing a similar uh, 
rush of information where it's suddenly like, oh, you're one of many. Oh, you're one of infinite versions of you. Yep. Every possible permutation of your existence exists. Yours is the worst. <laughs> like, yours yep. is the saddest version. Yep. Uh, and and also, you can explicitly now see what your life would have been like yes. if you hadn't gotten with your husband and how much more successful and maybe happy, quote unquote, you might have been in better circumstances, what you would have given up or what you would have gained rather by giving up that particular part of right. your life. And that's, I think, what she's trying to process. So the initial thing is like, whoa, whoa, maybe we shouldn't be together. Like, I, I'm, I'm almost thinking that it's like, I think what you're saying about her is being like, I want to share this with you is 100% correct. And I also think that at the same time, her mind is she's trying to process this and information just coming out is like, wow, th my life was so much better over there. Yeah. Th maybe we shouldn't be together. Wow. Can you believe it, honey? Right. Like, <laughs> it's right. like, it's what it feels like. Before finally settling on, you know what? I could have had all of these other yes. lives. But ultimately, I care so much about this life that I have. I am giving my life meaning. That's, that's I think, the message, uh, right. what, what she decides, is that her, regardless of whether or not her life has meaning in a cosmic sense, she chooses to give assign the things in her life meaning, and that's what makes them yeah. matter. And I, I don't know if this is looking too much into, you know, the filmmaker's decisions, but I, I don't think it's uncalled for in terms of, um, you know, they have name, like, when we think about the meaning of everybody's names in this movie and, and how that influences the mm -hmm. themes, um, you know, you've got Joy, who I think obviously, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, well, she she is her parents' Joy, but, you know, she's also, there's this dichotomy of, like, her name's Joy, but she's not joyful now, uh, you know what I mean? She's, she's lost hope. Mm -hmm. um, I was looking up the meaning of the word, or the meaning of the name Evelyn. Mm -hmm. It means desired child. Uh, Ooh. Several iterations, it also could mean wished for. And I, I can't Ooh. imagine that that was an accident. Um, yeah. This idea of, you know, again, choice. I picked you. I wanted this. I wished for this. Yeah. Um, that I'm I'm reminded of that brief glimpse we have of her being bored yes. when the doctor is like, "We're sorry, sir, it's a girl." And she was not the <laughs> yeah. desired child, right? He yeah. in that culture, you know, he wanted a boy. He wanted a son. Um yeah. And over time, she... But Joy just wanted her mom. Exactly, yeah. And I have, I'm have i having a hard time finding the meaning of the named Waymond. Um, I did find mm -hmm. the meaning of Waymon, uh, with no D, um, and it had something to do with being, like, a strong fighter or a strong warrior. And I thought that's really interesting if there is a parallel there, because even though he is the gentlest, kindest character, uh, he's also one of the toughest fighters, and he talks about that. Like, this is how I choose to fight. I fight through kindness. Yeah, he fights for his family. Even the fact, what an idea to come to her with a with divorce papers just to try and provoke yes. a conversation. Yeah, he didn't want like her to he's sign just them. To give it, it, he just wanted to talk. Yeah. Yeah, and the only time that she talks to him is during a crisis. Yep. Like, he loves her so much that he doesn't want to divorce her. He just wants to yep. talk to her and try and work out their problems. Yep. Like, man... Oh, there's so much. I, I think we're going to need to do an episode two on everything, everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to throw out two things. Yeah. Number one, uh, that Joy's white girlfriend is named Becky. <laughs> uh, and then number two, that that Jamie Lee Curtis's character is named Deirdre Bobeardra. <laughs> I didn't catch the last name until just now. <laughs> Deirdre Bobeardra. Well, and Jenny Slate's character is credited as Big Nose. Uh, oh no! Oh yeah, another character's credited just as Chad. Like, oh yeah, Chad's Chad's the 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 Rakakuni chef. Yep, yep. I it, there's there's a lot of very on uh, no pun intended with Jenny Slate's character's name, but there's a lot of very on the nose um, naming of characters yeah. in this. And I think that that's <laughs> when she's using lovely. the dog as a nunkachu, oh, that is a particular so highlight for me. So good. That is just. It's brilliant. It's not even honestly. It's not even a nunchaku. It's I'm not sure what the name of the weapon is, but it's the same weapon that Gogo uses in Kill Bill. It's like where it's like um, a gigant. It's like a cha it's like a rope dart, yep, but like yeah. with a ball and chain instead. Yep. <laughs> uh, absolutely wild. Unhinged. Unhinged. Yeah. This this movie feels like the movie that. Honestly, having seen the, some of the Daniels' other work, uh, I've seen. Let me see really quickly again. I know that I have seen uh, Swiss Army Man. Um, what else did they make? Oh, those turned down for what? Uh, yep. Having seen uh, that work, I yeah, also did directed some st uh, an episode or two of Legion. 
um, oh, which okay. is which has a which has a similar very kind of multiversal, um, you know, visual assault vibe. So they know what they're doing for sure. Yeah, uh, having seen those, it kind of like I can see this as almost like the realization of everything they had been yes. working towards up yes. until this point. Yep, just a completely off the wall dark, weirdly dark, but still very kooky and hilarious and accessible sense of humor. Uh, just off-the-wall concepts. Gonzo action. Very engaging visual style. Like, the, the music video for Turn Down For What, uh, say what you will about it, it is visually very engaging and yep. very creative. <laughs> and has that same bizarre, impish sense of humor. Uh, they, yeah, yeah, these, they knocked it out of the park. It's crazy. They've been to working s- together since 2013. Credited oh, as wow. Daniels. That's yeah. what a great working relationship and like pro creative partnership there. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I can't wait to see where they go from here. I hope they eventually go down in history as one of the all time great cinematic directorial duos. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, already I would say there are not very many duos that can claim a movie. You're you're basically looking at the Wachowskis and the Coen Brothers at this point. Yeah. Who have as as a cinematic directorial duo who have yeah. directed something that's this good. Yeah. The Russo opinion. brothers are trying, but I I don't know that. I mean I mean you got to respect the 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 Avengers films, but I don't know if yeah. it's quite at that level for me at least. Yeah, I think I think honestly, I think the Russo brothers' perhaps most impressive work in terms of innovation is TV. If you look at Arrested Development and Community, yep, uh, those are yeah. But it, again, yeah, it's a completely different. The Marvel stuff is completely different. Community at least has like parallels. Uh, the scene I was specifically thinking of was in Paradigms of Human Memory, the season two flashback episode, when uh, they show all of the different iterations of them having an argument, and Troy turns and starts screaming at, in the exact same way through all of them. And like he's the present day Troy starts shrieking and having a nosebleed. There's like a moment where you're see there's so many scenes where you're just seeing a person's face flashing through so many iterations yeah. of their own life. Uh, and it's I think that it was that what it, that's kind of what it reminded me of yeah. that idea of like being forced through so many <laughs> versions of reality right. uh, but parallel well and there's a there's a scene very similar to that and it's the scene I mentioned that kind of had me pinned to the chair right before it cuts to the rocks um, where, yeah. where Evelyn and Joy are rocks on a mountaintop there's a good solid I don't know how long it feels like it goes on for 30 seconds or more of just flashing Evelyn's face in different realities just and like the music's building and like it it's paralyzing in in a very fascinating way. Like I, I literally both times I watched it was like I don't know that I can move right now. I'm just in rapture. Yeah, with this. I that's that was the moment in particular that made me think, how on earth did yeah. they finish this this quickly? Yeah, what was the budget for this? There are so <laughs> many different like maybe they just put her in front of a green screen and then slapped forty or fifty different costumes on her in a row. But oh, my goodness, that is that is a lot of what they did. Um, the scene where she gets blown back in the office chair mm-hmm. and goes kind of zipping between several realities before she ends up in the in the um, the janitor's closet. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a ba- there's a behind the scenes video of how they made that scene, and it's fascinatingly simple. It's literally. We shot it at this certain frame rate. We had a leaf blower that was blowing her hair against a green screen. And then we had gone out for the last year. And every time we were location scouting, we had a little like GoPro type camera and we would just walk around with it. And then we got these big LED panels that would project that footage so that the lighting on her face would be correct. And we literally just stitched all that together. It's just her against a green screen going like this and footage that we took, you know, over the last year. Oh, wow. And... It's like I can do that, you know. Yeah. Not that well, maybe, but like, like anybody, anybody could do that with with a laptop and you know access yeah. to a green screen. Wow, I I for our, for our follow up episode on this, we I really want to look into uh, the making of as well as maybe talk to like some philosophers yeah. and maybe even some some actual Asian Americans to see how the movie like what yes. parts of their own experience or the Asian the general Asian American experiences they have observed in themselves and others the movie depicts and stuff because I'm sure there's a bunch of stuff that we missed 
on multiple levels in this movie. Exactly. Yeah. It, there's so much that we can appreciate, and you know, not not coming from that culture, I'm sure that there's a a, a ton of layers. Uh, there that that make that movie even deeper. Um, so yeah, I would love to, to have that conversation. Well, I mean, we're in the spoiler chamber. I think we gotta walk and check the. We gotta check the the the. What would it be? The quark chamber? What should we call it? Should we check this quark stream? I, I, I it's 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 the uh, the the. I want to go flux capacitor, but quark capacitor or something. I don't know. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to come uh, up with a good the name flux for that. quark capacitor. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> Until we get something better. Yeah, the flux quark capacitor. I'm writing yes. it down. <laughs> Love it. Uh, let's go ahead and check the flux quark capacitor. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna roll a dice this time, but uh, I'm gonna look deep into the flux quark capacitor and see for myself that this movie can receive up to. 17 quarks. Okay. How many and are I'm you going to award it? I'm going to give it 19 out of 17 <laughs> I there, there are a handful of what I consider to be perfect movies. And um, I, I don't believe I'm being a prisoner of the moment in saying that this, for me at least, you know, enters into that handful. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a thing I would change. There's not a... I, I love that this movie makes me ask big questions. Um, mm-hmm. it, at the end of the day, no matter how visually appealing it, it may be, if, if the movie doesn't move you on an emotional level, if it doesn't make you question things or think about things, um, it's not, you know, it, it, it's not that next level of art. Yeah. Um, and this does that. And yeah. I, I can't recommend it more highly. All right. Yes. I think that is an excellent rating. I'm going to base my number of quarks on the number of red objects that I can see in my field excellent. of vision right now. So this would be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. 10, 11, 12. So I'm going to be rating it. I think I'm going to have to go uh, 11 and a half to 12. 11 and a half to 12. Uh, yeah. This this movie, I think, is, at, as it hits right now, feels like a masterpiece, feels monumental. Uh, I really hope it stands the test of time. The yeah. other comparison that I was trying to make that I had, that I was looking for, has finally hit me. This feels like if the early period, it feels almost like if Edgar Wright directed um, Synecdoche, New York. Uh, yes, that's the, the, yeah. and it's and that's what I'm missing. It's the Charlie Kaufman influence. This feels yep. like something that was influenced by Charlie Kaufman, but they were like, let's also make it madcap and wacky and yeah. Bonkers. The Edgar Wright reference is a good one. Um, yeah, it's yeah. got that. It's got that frenetic energy that he brings. Yeah, while it tackles with bizarre and surreal ideas and themes, like Charlie Kaufman films, like especially Synecdoche, New York does. Yeah. Um, I yeah can't recommend this movie highly enough. Uh, I think it's yeah it's about as close to a masterpiece as you're gonna see. Uh, I think it's a it's clearly a masterpiece. I'd be blown away if they ever managed to even match it, let alone top it uh in their careers and uh yeah one of the i think this movie is probably going to end up on a lot of best of the decade lists uh here in a few years so yeah uh with that thank you so much uh for joining us here at the uh i just forgot the name of the show at the quantum reactor the radiation's getting to you get out i've been in here too long i'm gonna start removing my suit as i rush for the exit (laughs) andrew take us out Thanks so much for joining us. You can follow us on social media at Q Reactor Show. And you can follow me if you're interested in my random thoughts at Drew underscore Coons. Mm. And if you can follow me uh, on Twitter and Instagram, well, yeah, and Instagram, but my Instagram handle is different from this. You can follow me on Twitter at Hive at JeremyCobb1. That's Cobb with two B's and the number one. Instagram. I still don't know what it's called, but maybe once I'll post something, who knows? When I post something, I'll try and find the name and actively start promoting it. Uh, but as of right now, <laughs> I still have not opened uh, the Quantum Reactor to see if there are any, uh, see what posts may eventually arise on the Instagram. But uh, go check it out. We've got we've got other yeah, big things. Exactly, about, exactly. So you'll get there. Uh, thank you so much for joining. We'll see you next yeah, time. See you next time. We'll see you next time on the. <laughs> go ahead. You <laughs> We're go both for trying it. to do the outro. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Uh, we'll see you next time on the Event Horizon. <laughs> I just realized that I completely, when you said the Event Horizon, I thought of the sh- the movie. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah.
It's like, oh, we're doing that next. Okay. Well, all right. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, no, that's that's what we said. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>